For better or worse, it is time to close the book on the Gerard Gallant era of New York Rangers hockey. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing his biggest shortcomings as head coach of the New York Rangers and also uh, his biggest accomplishments during what turned out to be obviously a very brief tenure, once again, as head coach of the New York Rangers. I'm also going to explain why this team, the New York Rangers, is one bad or one incorrect head coaching hiring away from this becoming known as the what-could-have-been era of New York Ranger hockey. I'm going to explain what that means and a whole lot else in today's episode of Locked on New York Rangers. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 823 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys, as always, for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. And Locked On New York Rangers is, of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So why do go ahead, like I said, basically just close the book, the, the final chapter, the, the final page of the book of uh, the Gerard Gallant era of... New York Ranger hockey with him being the head coach. And I want to do that with, uh, you know, something of a send off here, but I also want to acknowledge, you know, some of his shortcomings and uh, basically just give him a fair trial uh, as we once again turn the page here and uh, eventually look ahead to some candidates that could come in and possibly be the next coach of the New York Rangers. And we'll get to that as well. Um, as far as Gallant, though, like I said, wanted to give him a proper send-off. It was obviously uh, an interesting couple of seasons here, a lot of ups and downs uh, for the New York Rangers during his time here. As far as the negatives and the things that essentially you know got him canned as head coach of this team, I think one of them might have been uh, communication or really lack thereof. You know, I saw after game four this year against the Devils, and obviously by then, you know, the Rangers were up two games to none. Uh, everything was great. They won the first two games on the road, both blowout wins. Then they turn around and lose the two games at home, including game four, which is a fairly lackluster showing by the Rangers. I thought the final score made it seem closer than that game actually was. Uh, the Rangers pretty much were dominated in that game. And I, I saw something where, you know, going into game five, he was asked about the approach and, you know, where, where the team's at right now and all that stuff. And, you know, he mentioned, I don't have the exact quote in front of me or anything like that, but he basically mentioned that, you know, he's not a big rah-rah guy and he doesn't need to go in and deliver a big speech. And, you know, a lot of people that don't like Glant to begin with or just don't think that he was the right coach for this team, they kind of took that and ran with it and took it to mean that, you know, he was either being lazy or that he was refusing to do his job or something like that. I think more of what that was was him being a little bit more hands-off and him being somebody that tends to trust the players and trust them to take it upon themselves and, and trust the leadership group in that room to get the team going. Um, and there is something to be said for that. You know, I, I think at times that can be the right approach, but uh, I, I don't think this is the time for this. I, I think if you're Gallant here and you've seen this series, uh, you know, go the way that it went, and you have that, again, very lackluster showing in Game 4. You've given away control of the series. You're up 2-0. Now it's 2-2. Now you got to go back on the road to play a Devils team that's suddenly confident and suddenly feeling good about itself and suddenly has a goalie that can actually make a save. Uh, I think this is a good time to address the team and you know kind of just you know take the pulse of the room and make sure that they're ready to go. Make sure you push the right buttons and, and make sure that they're still confident and that there's still a belief in that room that they can and will get the job done despite, you know, dropping two games in a row at home. I don't think this is the time to be kind of hands-off. I think you need to uh, 
address the team in one way or another. Doesn't have to be the Gettysburg address, but I think you got to go in there and say something and, uh, you know, again, push the right buttons and make sure that they're prepared to, to, to rock and roll in game five. And obviously they weren't because they got killed in game five. If I'm not mistaken, they were shut out in that game. I think the final score was four or nothing. Uh, regardless, I know it was not a good showing uh, for the Rangers. So yeah, after that game four, pretty much no show that the Rangers pulled. I think, you know, going into game five would have been a good time uh, for Gallant to address the team. And to just kind of use another example, as far as him not always being the best communicator, uh, I believe it was said by Gallant that, you know, after he made Capo Caco a healthy scratch in game six against Tampa last year, that he didn't really, you know, talk to him about it. He kind of just posted the lineup. And, you know, I think when you're doing something like that, which is a move that I didn't agree with in the first place, but when you do something like that, you know, I think, not that you owe it to the player, but I think you should probably, you know, have a word with the player and explain why uh, that decision is being made. I think another reason uh, that at least contributed to his downfall and maybe one of his shortcomings is that it felt like Gallant at times, he would sometimes blindly favor the veterans over the young players. I know there's been a call among Ranger fans to, you know, give the kids more time in the top six and, and give them more time in the power play. And then, you know, from the other side as well, that has to be earned and this, that, and the other thing. But uh, I thought there were times where, once again, he did just kind of, his default setting was just to put the veteran player in, in a prominent position as opposed to one of the young players. You know, we saw everybody from Colin Blackwell to, well, Blackwell, not so much, but that that's that's going back too far in time here. But guys like, you know, in recent seasons, like Barclay Goodrow, uh, Jimmy Vesey, even Sammy Blay in the preseason. I don't think he got into the top six in, um, in, in the regular season, but he was there in the preseason a little bit. Um, you know, just, just shuffling guys into the top six in and out, a lot of, uh, pretty much a revolving door as far as the two right wing spots are concerned, you know, before Tarasenko and Kane got here and he never seemed to really want to run, um, with, you know, Kako or Lafreniere in the top six, never seemed to give them a whole lot of rope once they were in the top six, they would go there for a time, but it never seemed like they stuck there for very long. And one line combination that I thought clicked a little bit for the Rangers fairly early in the season is when they had, uh, Meek on the top line centering Lafreniere and Kako. That trio looked pretty good together for the handful of games that they played. Uh, then they had a quiet game and a half, and the line was broken up, and I don't think they ever went back to that line combination the rest of the season. So, yeah, I think, you know, again, favoring the vets over the young players and, uh, you know, maybe not seeing the big picture that you got to get those young guys going a little bit and put them in a role to succeed and, you know, give them give them prominent positions on this team. Uh, I felt like it was just very, very difficult um, to get Gallant to give them, you know, a whole lot of leash, Lafreniere and Kako uh, in the top six, those two specifically. I think also, uh, Glant at times could have done a better job accept accepting, excuse me, a little bit more of the blame. Um, you know, I thought he was good at never really throwing individual players under the bus, but there were times where the Rangers would have a lackluster performance and he'd be asked about it after the game and uh, he would, um, you know, have some pretty choice words as far as how his team performed in that game. And that's fine. I think from time to time, it's okay for a coach to say, you know what, that was garbage and we need to be a heck of a lot better than that. But very rarely with Gerard Glant, and you can say the same thing about David Quinn before him, neither one of them seemed to ever really bring it back to themselves and really say anything along the lines of, yeah, the team was, was really bad tonight. That effort is not going to cut it. And that falls on me. You rarely, maybe once in a while for both of them, but very rarely did you hear either Quinn or Gallant uh, say that, throw it back on themselves and take responsibility, um, at least publicly, uh, for the team not performing well in a certain game or a certain stretch of games, whatever it might be. I, I feel like there could have been a little bit more of that from Gallant where, once again, if the team 
wasn't up to the standards that this New York Ranger team has set the last couple of years, and they have a poor showing. Uh, okay, it's fine to once in a while you know criticize your team's performance, but I think you also got to put that back on yourself. Do a little bit of a look in the mirror and say, you know, it's my job to make sure these guys are motivated and they're ready to go at the start of every game and they're ready to play uh, a full 60 minutes. So I, I think that probably hurt as well. And I'm also going to uh, give an honorable mention here because this is the one that everybody has been talking about. Uh, to the lack of in-game adjustments. It's funny because I see so many people, you know, during the playoff series against the Devils, once it started to go south for the Rangers, um, and just in general, you know, last year in the playoffs as well, uh, but Ranger fans saying that Gallant, you know, he never makes in-game adjustments. You go on Twitter, you go into uh, the comment section on YouTube, whether it's for this podcast or really any New York Ranger-related video that you can find on YouTube right now, and the biggest criticism, the thing that everybody goes after him for is the lack of in-game adjustments specifically in the playoffs. For everybody that's been, you know, crowing about that, the the lack of in-game adjustments, I have yet to see a single suggestion as far as what these in-game adjustments should have been. If you notice that, go on Twitter right now and go find a bunch of comments where people are talking about Gallant not making in-game adjustments. There's a very, very good chance that that's all it says. It just says he doesn't make in-game adjustments. Very rarely can you find a comment in YouTube, on Twitter, any of their social media platforms, whatever it might be, where somebody actually has an idea as far as what these in-game adjustments should have been. Now, I personally, I agree. I think that is a little bit of a weakness for Jorah Gallant. I think at times it's a little bit overstated. You know, the players have to play the game and they have to get the job done. Uh, as far as adjustments that I would have liked to see the Rangers make, specifically in the playoff series against the Devils, once it started to go south, I think that the Devils obviously tightened things up a little bit defensively. They took a little bit of what the Rangers were doing, you know, playing what I was calling basically a modern-day trap and, uh, you know, just making it really difficult on the Rangers to carry the puck uh, into the attacking zone. And even when they did, you know, a lot of times it would follow with a turnover or a player would be forced to the boards or, or whatever it might be. I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more dump and chase, you know, as an adjustment to counteract the Devils adjustment. You, know, you go to just dumping the puck into the zone, make the defenseman turn around, get in there on the forecheck and just go to work, get the puck out from the boards and, uh, you know, set up some offensive zone chances uh, in that way. The Rangers never really went to that game. I mean, every team is going to dump the puck and chase it once in a while, but you didn't see that consistently from the Rangers. The Rangers just kept trying to gain the blue line and uh, it just didn't work. They ended up going east and west or they were offside or they turned the puck over, or, uh, you know, didn't get a good scoring opportunity out of it, uh, whatever the case might have been. Uh, so I'd have liked to have seen a little bit of an adjustment there. I think also uh, a better use of the timeout. I'm not sure if Gerard Gallant called it, they, they called at least one timeout. It was at the end of game four. They were down two to one. They were trying to set up, you know, a, a play, obviously, to, to try to get the game tied there. Uh, other than that, though, I'm not sure that the Rangers used their timeout in the entire series. And when you've got a situation where, you know, game five, that game went south in a heck of a hurry for the Rangers. Same thing in game seven. I, I think if you're not using that timeout there, I'm not really sure what you're saving it for. You, know, you call the timeout, you get a little bit of a reprieve, a, a little bit of a chance for the players to just mentally and physically uh, kind of reset, catch, catch their breath a little bit, and you say whatever needs to be said during the timeout. There, there's no sense in saving the timeout. I mean, it's nice to have it at the end of the game if you're down by a goal and you're trying to find the equalizer and you want to draw something up, but I think you've got to use that timeout in a better way um, before the game gets out of hand, which both games five and seven did get out of hand, and that timeout never happened. Now, as far as other in-game adjustments, you guys let me know because, and I'm not even saying this like in a snarky or a mean way or anything like that. I'm just saying what I've seen on social media, in the YouTube comment sections, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody is yelling about the lack of in-game adjustments, but very few, if anybody, 
is saying what those in-game adjustments should have been. And the ground rules here, you're not allowed to say anything about line combinations. I mean, you can say it if you want to, but I'm looking for something a little bit more uh, substantial than that. Obviously, any coach can kind of juggle the lines, and we saw Gerard Gallant do that quite a bit this past season, more for my liking, more than there was. There, there was more of that uh, for my liking, um, but, uh, you know, again, if you have a, an adjustment that you think Gerard Gallant and this Ranger coaching staff and this Ranger team should have made, in the playoffs this past season, then please do leave in the comment section. I'd be very, very curious to see uh, what everybody comes up with. Because again, I see a lot of comments about in-game adjustments. I've seen very, very few actual tangible ideas, actual tangible, um, you know, just just concepts as, as far as what these adjustments should have been. Very, very few. And I'm curious to see uh, what everybody can come up with. So that's kind of, uh, I suppose we can call that the... Uh, the bad aspects of the Gerard Gallant coaching tenure here. I do want to turn the attention in just a second uh, to some of the positive things that he did, what I thought were some of his uh, his greatest strengths as coach of the New York Rangers. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. I'm also going to talk a little bit later in today's episode why uh, the next head coaching hi hiring is so critical for the New York Rangers and why, um, if they get it wrong, we're going to one day look back on this as the what could have been era of New York Ranger hockey. So we're going to get to all that good stuff in just a second here. Uh, but first... We got to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. We streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring platform delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked on. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash locked on. Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, we go ahead and keep everything rolling here. But uh, first, once again, a big thank you to everybody for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. And for the everydayers, uh, definitely stick around through the end of the week. Uh, tomorrow's episode, I want to start looking at uh, some of the candidates, some of the names that have been kind of floated around as far as, you know, the, the next individual who could be the head coach of the New York Rangers. I mean, everybody from... Uh, Pretty much everybody has been discussed, but, you know, Peter Laviolette, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, Mike Sullivan, if he ends up being, you know, out as Penguins coach, which I, I don't think is going to happen despite them missing the playoffs. Uh, there's some love for, for Knobloch out there a little bit. Uh, Messier is kind of uh, out of the box kind of an idea, but he's certainly a candidate that we can at least discuss. Uh, Babcock, you know, like I said, any, any coach who's a name, especially one that's had success in this league, 
they're at least being floated as options by Ranger fans right now. And obviously, there's a lot riding on this next hire for the Rangers, so I'm very much looking forward to discussing that in tomorrow's episode. We'll do a deep dive on several of the uh, mentioned candidates as far as who could be the next coach of the Rangers. But for right now, once again, we're closing the book on the Gerard Glant era here. I do want to talk about some of the positives that I thought he brought to the table. Uh, For starters, I think one of the positives was that he had the pulse of this Ranger team, and I think he showed that tangibly in a couple of different instances. I think you look back to last year in the playoffs, you know, this Ranger team faced elimination five total times in the first two rounds, and every single time, uh, they just refused to die. They refused to be eliminated. They came back from three games to one against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They were also down two games to nothing to the Canes, as well as 3-2 to the Canes, came back to win both those series in seven games. And there's a lot of Ranger fans right now, and... You know, granted, this is not something that is, you know, unjustified, but a a lot of Ranger fans right now are after Gallant because, uh, partially because, they, in their last two playoff series, last year against Tampa, this year against New Jersey, uh, were up two games to nothing and did not close the deal, did not win the series, did not finish the job. That's fine if if you want to, you know, be upset with Gallant for that. And, you know, there's some people that say that he choked. I mean, to me, the players are the ones playing the game, but... Um, you know, hey, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, the bottom line is they were up 2 nothing against both Tampa and New Jersey, did not finish the deal uh, in either series. But if you want to take that stance and go after Gallant for, you know, him not being able to coach his team to a series win after they take a two games to none lead, then I think it's only fair that you give him some props uh, for what he did in the other two playoff series that he was the New York Ranger coach, which really is crazy when you think about it. I mean, down 3-1, they win that series. Down 2-0, they win that series. Up 2-0, they lose that series, and up 2-0, they lose that series. Those are the four um, playoff series that Gallant presided over for the Rangers. But once again, I think you have to give some credit to you know, Gallant presiding over a team that came back from three games to one down against the Penguins. Many of those uh, New York Ranger players were making their Stanley Cup playoff debut. Uh, games three and four went south in a heck of a hurry against Pittsburgh. Igor Shesterkin got yanked out of both those games, and the Rangers obviously uh, staged a pretty unbelievable comeback. I think it's the best three-to-one comeback uh, in the history of sports. I really do, because the Rangers were down uh, by two goals in games five and six of that series. They were down in game seven uh, by a goal with you know just a couple of minutes to go. I think like four or five minutes left. They tie that game. They win it in overtime. So clearly, again, if there's blame to go to Gallant, for not finishing off a series in which the Rangers lead 2 nothing, then there has to be some praise that goes to Kalan for a series in which the Rangers are down three games to one and they come back and win it. And you could say the same thing to a little bit lesser of an extent against the Canes. They were down 2 nothing as well as 3-2 in that series. But once again, the Rangers taking down you know a great Canes team, a team that last year I think a lot of people had them possibly winning the Stanley Cup, and the Rangers uh, rally out of a series hole, and they get the job done there, and they do that with Gerard Gallant as their head coach. So I, I think just having the pulse of this team, uh, another great example of, of Gallant doing that, uh, I think was this year in Edmonton against the Oilers. They were down 3 nothing after the first intermission, and Gallant, you know, they were on like a four or five game winning streak at that time. Could have been very easy to just kind of be like, well, you know what? It's not our night. This winning streak can't last forever. Gerard Gallant goes into the locker room, tells his players, we are not losing this game. And lo and behold, the Rangers came back and they won it. And this is against the same Oilers team that the Rangers were leading 3 nothing earlier in the season, and the Oilers rallied in the third period to come back and win that game. A disastrous loss for the Rangers there, but uh, Gallant clearly... I would imagine had not forgotten about that and wanted to make sure his players hadn't forgotten about that either and wanted to make sure that they came out, put their best foot forward and uh, beat a team that, you know, I think was certainly beatable in the Edmonton Oilers. You know, the Rangers, despite being down 3 nothing, were not playing terribly in that game. I think Gallant recognized that and uh, just wanted to make sure that they were going to keep going and keep playing the way they were playing. And lo and behold, they come back and get the win. I think also uh, the way he handled the captaincy was good as well. 
as far as having the pulse of his team. You know, last year, I think a lot of people were looking for the Rangers to name a captain. I, I know that I was, and I thought for sure it was on the way. But then you look at it, and they go through the season without a captain. And it actually makes sense because you're the first year head coach. You're just meeting a lot of these guys for the first time. And even the ones that you're not meeting for the first time, you're seeing how they all interact with each other and you know what the, uh, the dynamic of the locker room is. So I think it made sense to not name a captain in his first year. But then this past season... Um, you know, he goes with Jacob Truba. And I know a lot of Ranger fans, you know, people kind of, they kind of go up and down as far as Jacob Truba is concerned. He's one of the more polarizing Rangers. But uh, Gallant recognized, and every player on the Rangers seems to believe that this is true, that Jacob Truba, even before he was officially the captain, was kind of the unofficial captain, the leader of the locker room, the guy that, you know, a lot of players gravitated to. And so I think Gallant obviously, you know, he read the room, he made the right decision, he gave the players what they wanted. Jacob Truba was the captain. And, uh, you know, I think overall, Truba did a pretty solid job as the captain this season, uh, the playoff series maybe notwithstanding. But like I said, every player on the Rangers and the coaching staff, they all have a hand in, in what turned out to be, you know, a really rough showing uh, in the playoffs against the uh, the Devils there. I think another thing that Gallant did well was got some career years out of a lot of different players on his team. Uh, Kreider and Mika spring to mind more than anybody else. I think, uh, you know, guys like Goudreau, Panarin, uh, all three of the kids— um, you know, Adam Fox, I would put him there. I'd put Lindgren there, Igor Shesterkin there. There's a lot of players on this team who, if you look at their whole career and you try to take the best two-year stretch of their career, there's a very good chance that it was these past two seasons under Gerard Gallant. So I think uh, he found a way to, to get the most out of certain individual players, the majority of individual individual players on this team. I, I think another strength of Gallant is, I mean, you just look at the the bare basic black and white results here that, that the Rangers got with him as their head coach. Uh, the biggest strength that Gallant seems to have as a coach, whether it's with the Rangers or either of his two previous stops, we're not going to count Columbus because, you know, obviously nobody really ever seems to win there. Um, but between Florida and Vegas and then the Rangers, Gallant's specialty seems to be coming in and getting instant results and getting uh, an instant turnaround. He got the instant turnaround with the Panthers. Um, with the Knights, you know, you can't really call it a turnaround, but they were an expansion team. Uh, it was a team made up of, you know, castaways from the expansion draft, and he takes them to the finals in his first year. And then, of course, with the Rangers, um, getting him to the Eastern Conference final in his first year here. So it seems like when he initially gets to a team, instant success follows. The problem is it just seems to fizzle out kind of quickly, and his, he just never lasts very long with a team. Uh, with the, his previous three teams, it was just three seasons. And now with the Rangers, of course, only two seasons. So uh, the, the instant success for Gallant and the fact that the Rangers went from, you know, being mired in a rebuild and, and having some uncertainty about the long-term future of the team, uh, they go from that to instantly turning into a Stanley Cup contender. I think you got to give him props for that. I don't think that any coach on this planet could just walk in there and do what he did, especially in his first season uh, with the Rangers. And one other thing that I've noticed over the two years with Gallant is it seems like the Rangers seem to respond well to a loss, specifically one that may, maybe is a little bit lackluster. You know, they don't put their best foot forward. or Maybe it was a little bit of a hard luck loss. Uh, it seems like the Rangers over these past two years have often been at their best when they are following a disappointing performance. They don't let it snowball. His first season as coach of the Rangers, the Rangers didn't have a four-game losing streak the entire season until the final four games of the season in the conference finals uh, against Tampa Bay. So I think the way that they responded to adversity and responded to losses, I, I think Gallant you know, deserves some credit for pushing the right buttons and making sure that they know that if they have a bad performance, a bad game, okay, it happens, but this isn't going to fly. you got to get it right in the next game. And I think that's usually what we saw from this Ranger team. The only stretch that was kind of an exception to that rule was in the fall of this season when the Rangers just... We're playing uninspired hockey and just look flat every night. They look slow every night. 
Um, that kind of turned around after the Jacob Truba helmet throw there. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think mostly this Ranger team, when they got knocked down, they would get back up. And I think that's a credit to Gallant and the coaching staff as well. I'll keep everything rolling in just a second here. Going to have a final couple of final thoughts on the Gerard Gallant era of New York Ranger hockey. And like I said, I'm also going to talk about uh, why this next head coaching decision is more important. It's impossible to overstate how important it is. And we're going to do all that good stuff in just a second. All right, so a couple of final thoughts here as far as the uh, the Gerard Gallant coaching era. I'm very appreciative for what has happened to the Rangers over these past couple of seasons here. I know that the series performance against the Devils obviously leads a sour taste in the, the mouths of a lot of fans right now, and understandably so. I totally understand that. Um, but it has been a lot of fun uh, watching this team go from being you know stuck in a rebuild and you know, a little bit of uncertainty even during the rebuild. And are, are they doing the right things? Are they, you know, making the right draft picks? Are they making the right moves? Are they bringing in the right kind of players? And you go from that to, once again, being just two wins away from competing for a Stanley Cup uh, last season. And, you know, yeah, the, the the early exit this year was certainly rough. They had the ninth best record in the NHL, though. Um, you know, it was a solid season overall. And I, I think mostly over these past two years, there have been a lot more uh, good moments, a lot more obviously wins than losses. And I, I think that, you know, Ranger fans, I'm hoping that they can at least be somewhat appreciative of that. Uh, you know, the playoff run last year, I've said this before, it's one of my favorite seasons ever as a fan of the New York Rangers. Um, it, it's one of uh, my favorite seasons ever of any team that I root for. It was just a blast to see this team uh, arrive ahead of schedule and take the league by storm, really surprise a lot of people. Uh, completing that 3-1 to comeback against the Penguins was just absolutely beautiful, and Gerard Glant was the head coach for, you know, all of that. So, um, you know, I, I hope that people will still have at least some fond memories of last season, even though uh, they, they didn't end up winning a championship or anything like that. And that's kind of going to lead me into the next thing that I want to talk about. The Rangers didn't win a championship this year. They were built to win a championship. They made moves at the trade deadline that would suggest that this team is all in to win a championship. And instead, they don't get out of the first round. And they don't get out of the first round despite leading to nothing with a couple of blowout wins. And, you know, it just felt like the sword was probably going to fall on Gerard Gallant if the Rangers didn't get out of the first round. It's somewhat understandable. Again, if it were up to me, I think Gallant would still be back here for a third season. I think he had a strong enough track record with the Rangers. But... I will say, and a couple of you guys have pointed this out as well, you know, in the YouTube comment section, DMing me, emailing me, whatever it might be, um, if the players are no longer following the head coach, if they're no longer buying into the message, then it probably is time to make a change. And as I mentioned in yesterday's episode, the Rangers players, they need to buy into whatever the next coach is selling. Because again, the Rangers didn't really seem to like David Quinn. They didn't really seem to go to bat for Jar Glant at the end of the season here. So... They better buy into whatever this next coach is selling here because you know what? Three strikes and you're out. If they can't get on board with this next coach and, and they can't buy into his message and they don't want to go out there and uh, work a little bit harder than they did in the playoff series this year against the Devils, then I think at a certain point, you stop blaming the coach and you start looking at the players. And that's what's on the line for uh, the Ranger players next year. Their reputations are on the line. They have to go out there and uh, do everything they can to, to bust their tails and uh, work hard for whoever the next coach might end up being for the Rangers. But that leads me into my next point here because we are turning the page. We are moving into a new era of Ranger hockey, so to speak, and we're going to have a new coach. Um, so again, as I mentioned in the intro, the Rangers right now, they got to be careful. They, they have to get this right as far as who the next head coach of this team is going to be because as I mentioned, they are one bad 
head coaching hiring away from this turning into the what could have been era of Ranger hockey. And we're not there yet. You know, this is still a young team, despite what some people might have you believe. It's funny because, you know, last year, uh, you know, people that don't like the Rangers, you know, they, they watched them go to the conference final, and I'm sure that didn't make them happy. Uh, Penguin fans were absolutely seething with every playoff win that the Rangers had last year, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, you know, they make it to the Eastern Conference final and then they lose to Tampa. And then everybody that doesn't like the Rangers was kind of coming out of the woodworks and saying things like, oh, the Rangers, they missed their window. This was their only shot at it. You know, they're too old. They can't get it done. And I'm just like, what are these people talking about? First of all, uh, they were supposed to still be in a rebuild last year and they were in the Eastern Conference final. Secondly, coming into this past season, you know, the one that just concluded, the Rangers, for, for a team that missed its window, um, they didn't really have a lot of veterans on the team. There were only two players who were older than 31 uh, coming into this most recent season that were on the roster. Those two players were Ryan Reeves, who's the fourth-line enforcer, and Yaroslav Halak, who's the backup goalie. And even right now, and this is something that we briefly discussed in yesterday's episode, uh, the Rangers are not an old team, not even by a long shot, not even close. Uh, the Rangers going into next season, they only have four players on the roster who are 30 or older. And Chris Kreider is the oldest, and he's only 32. So this is not an aging team. This is not a team that uh, has missed its window. There's still a lot of talent there. I think the window is certainly still open. But what is becoming an issue for this team right now is the cap space because they are going to be forced this offseason and probably in offseasons to come to make some difficult decisions. I would imagine that you know, going into uh, going into this next season, and forget about the the UFAs right now because I think it's going to be tough to re-sign any of them. I'm talking about players that are under contract. The Rangers are probably going to have to trade somebody that they'd rather not trade. And I don't know if that's going to be Barkley Goodrow. He seems to be the most uh, likely candidate given his cap hit. Do they do something kind of out of left field, kind of surprising? Do you trade one of the kids? You know, either Lafreniere or uh, or Kako. I don't think they'll do that, but I can't completely rule it out either. Um, bottom line, the Rangers are going to have to move on from at least one player this offseason, I would think. They probably don't want to move on from. Um, so that is becoming something of an issue. And, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, whoever coaches this team, whoever the next coach is, is basically going to have to hit the ground running, get everybody to buy in, push the right buttons, uh, help this team reach its full potential in a short span of time. Because if the Rangers, you know, say the Rangers pick uh, a new head coach and he comes in, and it just doesn't click. And the Rangers either miss the playoffs next year, or maybe they make the playoffs, but, you know, they go out in the first round, or maybe the second round, you know, they go out with a whimper in the second round, they lose in like five games to the Canes or something along those lines. What do you do then? I mean, are you just going to fire the coach after one year because, oh, you missed the playoffs or you lost in the first round or whatever it might be? Are you just going to keep firing coaches and hiring a new guy every single season? That's not going to work. You know, sooner or later, you got to stick with one guy and you got to say, this is our guy and he's got to take us to the promised land. If you just keep firing one coach one year from, from one year to the next, you're, you're just spinning your wheels at a certain point. So uh, the Rangers, look, there is still time. This, this core group of players still has at least a couple of seasons here, still has a couple of opportunities here to win a Stanley Cup championship. The team is still young, as I just got done discussing. The window is still open. But there is some urgency now. You know, it's time to, to kick this thing up a notch and it's time to make a deep playoff run. And uh, it has to happen within the next couple of seasons here. The Rangers, you know, if they're going to win a championship, it's got to happen uh, sooner rather than later. And as I mentioned uh, just a second ago, the importance of picking the right head coach right now for this New York Ranger team based on where they're at and, you know, where they are with the salary cap situation and all those things. Uh, it, it cannot possibly be understood. They have to get this right. They have to pick the right coach uh, that's going to lead them to ultimately 
a Stanley Cup championship and sooner rather than later. Again, I, I don't think it's a situation where the window is already closed or next year is going to be their absolute final shot at it, but they got to get it going. You know, there, there are going to be tough decisions coming in regard to the salary cap and all that good stuff. So it, it's got to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, that is for sure. I uh, just wanted to also mention the Hartford Wolfpack. We're going to be turning our attention to them a little bit in some future episodes. Tomorrow's episode for the Everydayers, we're going to go ahead and discuss a couple of the different candidates uh, to be the next head coach of the New York Rangers. And then on Thursday, that's actually going to be game one of the Wolfpack's uh, best of five series against the Hershey Bears. So I want to spend Thursday's episode uh, talking a little bit about the Wolfpack and how they got here and what to expect in the next round. And um, like I said, the farther that Hartford goes in the AHL playoffs, uh, the more time that we're going to spend talking about them. It's been a fun run for them so far. And um, like I said, we're we're certainly not going to ignore that. There are some Ranger prospects there that are making an impact, and uh, we will like I said, spend more and more time about the Wolfpack the, the deeper that they go uh, into the playoffs here. But uh, that will do it for today, guys. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that's at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. And definitely subscribe to Locked On New York Rangers YouTube channel. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.